Hello everyone, back with another room with a review. I'm David, the creator of this podcast. And once again, I'm doing another film. I do want to get away from film at some point, but the problem is until I can get to a point where I can bank a few episodes, uh, they're the easiest ones to consume kind of on a weekly basis if I haven't got one in mind. So I'm kind of trying to plan out a little bit how I might attack that situation and choose my text better. But for now, uh, I'll probably stick with film, especially with so many streaming services available and so many films that I love. And film is my passion. It's it's the one area that I, I absolutely feel super confident talking about uh, in terms of any kind of text. So there's kind of that reason there. Uh, but yes, as I said, it will be another film this week. I do intend to try and get away from some of these at some point, but there have been some pretty good films lately and there's some good ones coming out. So I've talked for a couple of episodes about doing ad of the week and I'll talk about a couple of weird ones I saw as the ads, uh, before the film that I saw, uh, but also some of the trailers I saw look really interesting. There was one about... What was it called? Oh, The Current War. That one looks pretty interesting. It's about Edison, Tesla, and Westinghouse and their kind of rivalry and battle to really introduce electrical systems to the USA and the world. Uh, it's got... Who is in it? It's got Michael Shannon, Nick Nolte. Nolte? Mm, Nick somebody. And... Oh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, so we've got the three of them. Look pretty interesting. We've also got Misbehaviour. Looks like an interesting movie. I think it's going to, like, that That looks like it's going to be a really good uh, cross-section of a whole different issues. That's about women protesting the Miss Universe pageant in the 70s, I think it is. And at the same time, you've also got, uh, for instance, a couple of women who... So one is the first black South African woman to represent her country ever. And how this is her opportunity to kind of represent all those people and this kind of conflict between women versus women versus women versus men, uh, I think is pretty interesting. There was another movie that it, it didn't really super appeal to me, but it looks like a good movie. I forget what that one was now off the top of my head, though. Uh, and also we've got the next James Bond movie coming out soon, which I do love. So maybe I'll do a, an episode about first four Daniel Craig movies and then the fifth one I don't know or one altogether I'll think about it uh but anyway the movie that I saw was 1917 now when this in this movie the trailers started dropping and seeing all these trailers I wasn't interested I thought this looked quite terrible it looks like just another war movie there's nothing special about it didn't look like it was doing anything interesting I thought what kind of movie is this like pretty generic movie I couldn't understand why it was getting so much publicity and so much promotion and why, you know, it was considered to be one of the big movies of the year. And then one of my friends told me that it was basically filmed as a single shot, not strictly speaking true, but that that's the design of the movie. And that definitely piqued my interest because that is one of my favourite things ever in film is when directors slash producers and whoever else kind of puts it together creates those single shot sequences I think they are so visually stunning because they're so complex uh Slavoj Žižek who's a film critic he he has some good 
uh, little clips on YouTube you can sometimes find where he talks about some of these things. Uh, so definitely if you want to know more, that's a good starting point, although it might be a bit of a dense one. But I think, he, he, you know, there's plenty out there talking about how these things get created and the, the complexity of them. And I think, yeah, I, I absolutely love it. I think it's an amazing way to make a film, even short film, like anything shorter. So 1917, basically, it is about this man, these two men fighting World War One. They have to go and deliver a message to an advancing unit to tell them to stop an attack because new information has come through and they believe that that attack will fail. And then... Basically, we just follow these two... They're men these two men on their journey to get to this unit. So they've got to cross no man's land and across various other parts. And it's quite a intense movie because the, the, everything kind of came together to really capture what it was trying to do. And I think it was really good in that sense. Like everything came together and I will get into some of this nitty gritty. So I'm not just talking around. I'll talk about it in a second, but yeah, I think if you, if you haven't seen, single shot sequences before many of them the kind of movie that a couple of movies that really brought it into the into prominence were uh children of men which came out ooh, i want to say late 2000s like around 2009 ish maybe a little bit earlier than that uh which was directed by alfonso curon uh multi-time winning oscar director known for gravity and roma and also Harry Potter, Prisoner of Azkaban. Uh, and that's one of his definitely signature styles for Curon is that he has these single shot sequences and they are just beautiful. But in Children of Men, there was, oh, I forget, I think it was close to 20 minutes. There was this 20 minute battle sequence, which was a proper single shot take. And it's, I think it's still the longest single shot sequence in a film uh, to date. At least it's, it's the longest one that I'm aware of. It may not be quite 20 minutes, but it was definitely... 12 minutes plus, and I don't know, I'm pretty sure it hit 15 minutes, so I, yeah, I should have checked that, but it, it's somewhere in that bracket of around 15 minutes long, which is just in, incredible, especially 10, 12 years ago when no one was doing these sort of things, the special effects that need to go off because there's explosions and battle scenes and everyone has to be in the right place, the camera has to move exactly where it needs to go, you can't have a single stuff up, otherwise you've got to go all the way back to the beginning. It's It's incredible when you think about it because... If there's a single thing, you've got to go back, redo it, and you've got to start from the beginning. You can't just stop five minutes in. So 15 minutes, you've got to be, everything's got to be perfect, which is so hard to do when you film because that's what, I mean, they do so many takes as it is. So editing-wise, it, it saves you some work, but filming-wise, it's a much more strenuous process. But yeah, something that Curon does quite a lot, he uses them in that Harry Potter movie a little bit, he pulls back on them as a stretch because it doesn't suit that movie as much. Uh, and then you go to Gravity, which he really let loose. And partly because he could do what Sam Mendes does with uh, 1917, where because of the CGI nature of the setting, he could have these blended shots really, really well done. And so he... I think in Gravity, again, we have what is... It's, it's also about 15 minutes long before we get an actual cut. So a very clear cut, but there are definitely some blended shots as we kind of view different parts of the setting and the events. 
But even that film has really extended stretches of uh, single take moments. And they work so well because in space, like, it, it really reflects the concept of the movie. It's, it's a true example of where form and concept are realised. Because with, in, with an absence of gravity, obviously things, they lack a sort of direction with which to head. They're not grounded in any way. And that's kind of what one of the central concepts of the film is, is about this idea of having something to hold you down and connect you to other things. But because the camera can float with everything else, it gives a very natural sense to the film. And what I mean by that is that it really feels like it's you're you're in space. I think if if you saw that in kind of three D, that would be an amazing movie because you'd be so tripped out by it. And I know a lot of people get motion sickness from three D movies, but I think that would be one that would be incredible. Uh, so yeah, Curon is obviously a master of doing this. And those are some of the, like the earlier pieces that he did. I say earlier, Gravity was kind of like not that long ago, but it really uh, exploded. <laughs> no pun intended. Uh, but then we've also got things like The Haunting of Hill House had a really, really fantastic episode with this. Again, it had some blended shots. There was something similar to about 20 minutes of that where obviously there was different takes being done, but it had the appearance of single take. And it... That show was really, really good. I love that show. I can't wait for season two, which I think comes out this year. But this this technical aspect of single take, it's it's just unbelievable. And if if you've never tried to film things or record things that are scripted and so meticulously planned, especially action movies, boy, it's it's really difficult. And so if you ever think about trying to get get five people to deliver lines over the space of 20 minutes and get a single shot take of it. Man, like, that's so hard. I know that, obviously, if you have a play, then actors have to do all this and it, it's kind of a one-shot sort of thing. But in this case, because of all the different components going into it, that's one of the differences between film and plays, is the extra technical components that go in like sound and all that sort of stuff and special effects. And so it's just incredible watching it. And I absolutely really, really appreciate how well it was done because I knew this going in that it was this single shot takes and I was watching for moments where they would blend some shots together and transition. And there were some that were very obvious. There was, I'd say there's three very clear cut points where you know exactly there's, you know, that they've started a new shot but I picked out at least, I think, four or five others at different times. But even with all those, like, let's say there was about 10 maybe that I probably picked out. As I said, there was about three or four that were very clear and I said four or five others. So we're talking about eight to 10 and the film's about two hours long. That means each section is about, you know, theoretically 12 minutes. And I think the longest section in the film that was one take was 12 minutes. So, um, yeah, it's just breathtaking stuff but because of the lack of cuts you get this really intense feel to it because there's no stopping and it's it's not an intended purpose of cuts usually cuts are designed to connect different components and ideas and you can see conversations and things like and reactions and things like that so you can kind of put one and one together whereas taking away those cuts it also means the film has a there's no breaks because you if you think about when you blink, 
it's giving your eyes that moment to just relubricate, biologically speaking. But there is that half moment where they don't have to have any sensory input. The same thing works with a cut. Each time there's a cut, you have this moment where there's this brief, no need to process anything. And so when you don't have cuts, you're constantly processing thing, things for an entire movie. And that makes it quite intense. Uh, so it, it really, really is technically brilliant. And it's so hard to do, as I said. And being a war film, you've got to have costuming and makeup and sound effects and special effects and visual effects because there's explosions and gunshots and things like that. Absolutely time to perfection. The settings that you have to have the settings physically created usually, uh, depending on what you're trying to do, like gravity, as I said before, but even then you still have to have the right setting because the camera has to move within it. So it works. It's, it's so hard. Seriously. So it's a really good experiment with some more interested students to try and get them to create that. I think you could really test their expertise and skill by doing that because you, you know, they often don't have access to dollies and tracking equipment. Um, so I think definitely it, it's something that's absolutely really would stretch the capabilities of a lot of students. In, to, in terms of this film though, I think everything kind of worked really, really well together because you've got the sound effects and the special effects that really over the top of it all play their role. Nothing was over the top either which was good there was a moment where I was a bit you know you see a a dead body of something and I thought we're going to get like a close-up of it and that would be a transition and thankfully we didn't because I thought it would have been like too obvious would have been just too direct so I'm glad that there was some restraint there there wasn't any overindulgence in showing just extra stuff for the sake of showing it it was it allows you to take in things in the background and elsewhere without having to focus in on them. Like it was obvious enough, but subtle. It was a really good balancing act between doing those things. And so the performances by the actors is just phenomenal because I, you just think about how much effort they would have had to go to, to rehearse and get everything perfect. Like you think they're probably doing at least two rehearsals within the settings themselves before they film it. Then the actual filming, potentially two or three takes sometimes, you know, for a two hour film to do all that with so much time, plus all the time getting into makeup and out of makeup, but very, very beautiful uh, and very emotional. The, the character wise creation was great. Point of view and perspective are loaded throughout this film because you just constantly get those, those shots because that's part of the way it works. And we really see it from these two characters, central, like these two central characters, their perspective. Where it was kind of lacking a little bit, but I'm glad it was because I think it worked. You kind of, it meant there was just a single focus, which again, with a single shot, you should only have a single focus. Uh, but was the narrative, there wasn't really much by way of plot. I kind of explained it to you and that's the gist. Like we just have these two guys trying to deliver a message from one unit to another that's pretty much the entire movie. There's some secondary and tertiary components happening to do with relationships and character backgrounds, but because we don't have flashbacks or we don't have prolonged discussion and dialogue, they're not really prominent. 
and I actually really, really enjoyed that fact that we didn't, there was so much silence at times and that worked amazingly. Like we weren't bombarded with excessive dialogue having to explain what was going on. There was a couple of scenes where they were a bit necessary for dialogue, but there was definitely some clear moments where silence worked just as well. And then there was music that really set you up and they played with your emotions very well. The way the camera moved and hid some things from you at times was also really, really good. The pacing of it was quite good. We didn't linger too long in one spot, which again is hard to do when you've got a single shot because then it really puts a burden on the actors. But all in all, it was just fantastic. I think all the all the components of it just worked so well together. They really, really tied in so magically. Uh, I think, I think it, as I said, technically it is one of the best movies I've ever seen. There are so many technically difficult things going on that it, it's just breathtaking the way you watch it. In terms of teaching wise what you could get out of it i think the first 10 to 15 minutes or so is really really good because you'd get a you go okay that's this is a single shot take and the first 10 minutes 15 minutes there's nothing that's confronting there's nothing that would be m-rated it's all pg at that point and i think just seeing that component and then kind of explain to students like the whole rest of the movie we have no more cuts because i've one thing i've noticed is that a lot of students really struggle with cuts they they can't discuss them enough and analyze them they don't know how to use them as evidence they typically just talk about oh we cut from this to this and it shows us two different things like very good but that's not really getting into the the analysis of the film so i think as a contrast for cuts it would help maybe cuts stand out more to students seeing those jumps because a lot of them really really struggle with that analyzing it and i think showing those first 15 to 20 minutes would be phenomenal uh, to point out cuts and how they work and how you can not use them just for as equally effective. I think also extension to students or students that just really want to have a major passion for film, it's it would be on that list. There's There are films that I kind of keep in my head and like in my memory of really, really technically well done films. And this is straight there. This is right up there. I have it with, I mean, Pan's Labyrinth, the puppetry in that is quite, amazing itself but i haven't let me think now actually what are what are some of these other technical films that i really really love i think there are some hitchcock ones that do a good job i've been a big fan of cure on for ages so children of men was always a go-to of mine for uh budding filmmakers this one's got to be up there now too i think baby driver is another really good one for editing anything by edgar wright the way he edits films is incredible and it's this really good contrast between the way edgar wright uses cuts and edits especially sound in Baby Driver, which is just fantastic, uh, to this film and the lack of those things. Just brilliant, brilliant stuff. I think when you look at some of the things like Scorsese's done, he is not... He tells really good stories in really good ways. Same as Francis Ford Coppola. And yet, in terms of technical brilliant directors... I don't think they even come close to what Sam Mendes accomplished here or what Curon does. And other people would be screaming other names at me that you know I'm not mentioning at the moment, but Edgar Wright, as I said, is another one. 
I think the Coen brothers at times do a really good job of some of these things with the way they make films. But I think they're better producers and writers than they are directors. Hmm. I think uh, Tarantino is also obviously brilliant at what he does at creating anything and with his vision. I think he achieves his vision really, really well. Not for everyone, obviously. Guillermo del Toro is another really good one. But a lot of these guys, they're just fascinating and fantastic directors because I think they do so much. And I think that's the mark of a good director is they've got their vision and they execute it really well. And that's where John Favreau has really come through in the last several years. I think his experience working throughout the Marvel movies after his earlier works were fantastic. You could see it in Chef. Chef is a really, really good good film. I really like that. Uh, and so you see all these different things that directors are doing, these innovative directors. And Favreau is not necessarily innovative, innovative in the sense of his Marvel movies, but he is innovative. When you watch Chef especially, I think it's, it's quite a unique film. And 1917 is obviously unique. Sam Mendes is doing a really good job. He's definitely uh, launching himself into my favourite directors after seeing that. I want to see him do one that's a little bit more story-driven, I think. I mean, he's done... Uh, he did Skyfall, didn't he? I'm just double-checking this. If he did Skyfall, then yeah, he's done. obviously got some of that going for him. But... Yeah, he did Skyfall. Uh, but let me just have a look at what else he's done. Because I feel like... Oh, he did... Uh, so he's... Also did some Penny Dreadful, which is a good, uh, it's a pretty good series. Uh, he also did, oh, Revolutionary Road, right. Okay, so that was a good movie. And he did The Kite Runner and Road to Perdition, which are also good movies. Kite Runner's a great book. Road to Perdition, though, oh, he's only producer. Got it. He's producer on some of these things, not director. Got it, got it, got it. Anyway, uh, Sorry. Let's look at what he actually directed. Yeah, Spectre and Skyfall. I don't remember Spectre very well. I oh, did do Revolutionary Road and Jarhead and Road of Perdition and American Beauty. Yeah, right, okay, Sam Mendes. Sorry for my little tangent and ramble there. Sam Mendes, very good. All right, I hadn't put all those together. I hadn't realised he'd done all those. Although, I think a couple stand out way more than others. Uh, Road to Perdition is a bit slow. But anyway, uh, and so is Revolutionary Road. But he's done a good job with, with a lot of those movies, so I think he's definitely working his way in and I'm looking forward to kind of where he goes next but anyway that's enough of me kind of just talking about my own interests I'm going to do another extra segment this week which will be ads yeah I'll be back in a moment with those ads so new segment ads Ads have always been easy targets. They've always been subject to comedy and mockery and satire. And I maybe won't do this every episode. It'll depend on if I remember any ads and think they're worthy of discussing. Sometimes they'll be good ads. You know, there are some very good ads. I did a whole episode about Super Bowl ads that are very good. However, the ads I'm going to talk about today are quite terrible. I don't understand what was going on in some of these ads. It was just weird. I don't think it really worked. Anyway, so there's three that I remember. And these were all ones that popped up when I was at the movies, watching 1917. They're all in the, the 
before the trailers, these ads you get at the movies. The first one, couldn't even tell you what it was for. There was no dialogue. There was just random words that popped up that didn't really mean anything. It was kind of like something out of 30 Rock. Didn't say anything at all. Like It was just jargon for the sake of jargon. Like something, it was something like sweeping grandeur. And it's like, that doesn't mean anything. Um, it was for a real estate company. Don't know the name of it. All I had was the realtor walking through this amazing mansion type home. It had these amazing rooms and outdoor areas and everything. Like it was just very luxurious. And then very briefly, the name, I, th- I think it was the name of the company popped up. And I'm not going to say it because I, A, don't want to give them the publicity. But B, I don't even know if that's what it was. Because of these random words that appeared throughout the ad. Then this, th- these more random words, or at least that's what it appeared, popped up at the end. And the ad was done. It was about 15 seconds. That was it. We, I have no idea what was happening. I think something along there was... Maybe there was, there must have been a bit of dialogue where it said something about selling your house really, really well. And I kind of thought like, well, if the house looks like that, yeah, I could sell that. Anyone could sell that house. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. If you can't sell that house, I don't want you to, to work for me. Like, I don't want you to try and sell mine. Show me your worst house. Tell me that you sold that. Obviously... You know, it's got to work the other way. As a customer, I wouldn't want to go to them if they're going to con me like that. But, you know, realtors con you anyway if you weren't aware. So, sorry for any realtors listening. Uh, I know what you do is important. I have a friend who's a realtor. But at the same time, don't... you got to admit, you know that you play tricks on people all the time to get more money out of them. Anyway, so this ad, that ad was very weird. That was the first ad that popped up. And that really kind of set the tone for a lot of the next ones because there was others that just made no sense. There was one for a very pretentious restaurant and it kind of said uh, something along the lines of take a glimpse at what we can offer and it was like one of those restaurants where the meals are so tiny it's only a couple of mouthfuls. I hate that. Yeah, great. If you're into that, fine. Good on you. Enjoy your pretentious food. I like good food but I also want to be fed. I don't want to have three mouthfuls and go, yep, that's that's my meal. That's what this looked like. Uh and I know that, yes, there's a lot of care that goes into some of these meals, but sorry, not for me. Not saying I wouldn't go to those places if I wasn't, if I didn't have to, but come on, like find the balance between giving a little bit more and still kind of what you're trying to accomplish there. Anyway, uh, that wasn't one of the ads I was going to talk about. The next one, whoa, this was, you kind of got to see it to believe it. So we see this, I think it was a Labrador Golden Retriever. I forget which one. No, it was Golden Retriever. Sorry. I thought it was Golden. Golden. Lab, uh, yeah, Golden Labrador. No, it's Golden Retriever. Uh, running through a field and it's really happy. And there's this ad that says, oh, we'll take care of your pets. And I thought, oh, cool. This looks like a good ad. All the care they need just to make your lifetime with them magical. Something really, really nice. It's, it's a really good message. And then, because they didn't say this all the way through the ad, they kind of tried to hide it. Look like a really happy ad. Positive, love for your pets. That's great, fantastic. No, at the end, pops up what this company is. 
I think it was called Pet and Per Cremation Services. Mm. It, there was quite a few gasps in the audience. I think it was a little bit distasteful. I think they weren't... It was almost not serious enough at the first... Again, this is only about a 15-second ad. But the first 10 seconds was quite... You know, positive mood, everything's great. We'll look, we'll take care of you. And I know that that's part of taking care, but maybe don't lead in with that, making people think that it's like a vet or, uh, what do they have it? Pet holiday house type things like boarding house where you go overseas and you have to leave your pet for a week or two. Yeah, that was probably the wrong way to get that message across. My, my, my. So yes, pet cremation services was a interesting ad. Then we have the third one, which, poor boy, it was weird. I think it was Booper. And I'm going to call him out because it was weird. In this movie, well, in this movie, in this ad, Booper starts talking about health insurance and why you need it. And said, cool, that's fine. And they had a, a really happy song. I think it was the one from the opening credits of Please Like Me that, ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'm not going to sing. I'm not a singer. But it was that song playing. He's like, oh, cool, really nice, happy. Yep, wonderful, sounds good. Uh, and then they start talking about why you need health insurance. Yep, cool, still with you. Then they get really confronting. Like, really confronting. So they start talking about, like, graphic pain without actually talking about it. Like, they basically show it, but then don't show it. And, like, really intense healthcare stuff which I know that's why it's there but like the pet cremation ad pick your music and tone of the ad please so this ad right we go from oh yeah you need it for optical yeah okay massage fine and they show us people having those things done no problem the next one I think it was like ambulance and it was a guy grating something and he got distracted looked away and you could just tell that he was going to keep grating until he grated his finger oh that's not a fun image to have in your mind. Uh, so that was the first little image that popped up. While we have this really happy music and you kind of go, oh, wait, what? The next one was because tables are exactly the height of a toddler. And you see a child about to run into like a bench, the corner of it. And you just go, oh, no, that's going to hurt so much. He's going to bleed and cut the head. What is going on in this ad? We've got this... Like, really happy music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, like, severe injuries to people. Like, what is going on? There's no consistent tone here. I don't know if I'm supposed to be scared into buying medical help. Or if I'm meant to go, oh, yeah, these things happen. I can relax because I've got insurance somewhere. It was just all weird and all wrong. Uh, And then, the worst part... As the music's kind of hitting its crescendo and happiest moment, da, na, na, da, 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 la, la, that kind of music, we get to a part where these people rock up for brunch and then we cut from the people rocking up to see someone who's obviously undergoing chemotherapy, looking quite frail and bald and then happy to see their friends, which, again, great, that's a great thing, nothing against that part of it being in the ad. But... The reason I wanted to talk about these ads is because I also want to talk about bad advertising and versus good advertising. The tone of these ads was terrible. The, the message was really unclear. 
because on the one hand you've got the music and the the visual aesthetic that clash plus some of the dialogue that's going on that clashes again and put it all together we just got weird kind of i don't know if i'm meant to be happy or sad about either of these things like am i meant to be happy i've got health insurance or sad that i need it am i meant to be happy that my pet will be cared for or sad that my pet has died like and this is what we're talking about for both of these ads it's, it's so odd anyway those are some bad ads hopefully i can find some good ones as a as a contrast yeah not good but the whole reason i want to talk about these is because sometimes we need examples of bad ads to evaluate and show students you know why is this not a good ad what could be better about it how can you do better and why certain techniques need to work in certain ways i think you need often as many times examples of bad things like this as good ones so that's what the ads are for and in just a moment war and peace Finally, as always, War and Peace update. I'm still on track, not getting further ahead, but I am on track, which is good because it means I stay ahead. I'm going to try and keep this one very short because I feel like I just kind of ramble in these sections. And I'm also a bit more coherent, I think, this time because I remember what I talked about last time, what I'm up to. So Pierre, one of the characters, he was a illegitimate heir to a fortune. He became legitimate, received a large portion of that, shared it with his half-sisters. Anyway, that was earlier on in the, the novel. Then, after he got married, he was trying to be separated from his wife. Things were not working out. She was trying to return to society. He became an outcast. And in his moment of crisis of faith, he didn't know what he wanted to do. Uh, somehow, he came across someone that convinced him to join the Freemasons, which was an interesting turn. Uh, so the last few chapters really focused on him, Pierre, his separation and joining the Freemasons. And he's kind of being ostracized from society. So that's what's been going on. We're also starting to return a little bit back to some of the other characters who have to go back to war now that winter's over to continue fighting Napoleon and his armies. So that's really where War and Peace is at. I feel like things are slowing down a little bit, like I'm getting much more of a handle on things because I'm not jumping between two characters as much. That was really good. And I do like giving updates. I think I figured out why. Because it's not that necessarily because people are reading as I go, but I think it's good to set goals and meet them, obviously. But having these reading goals is really, really working for me. Uh, I was critical of the, the process a few episodes ago, saying that, you know, I should want to read it without having to force myself to. But I think it's actually had that effect. Like I've conditioned myself to actually wanting to read it now, which is good. Uh, it's only been a couple of days where I either tired or busy and just go I'll read two chapters tomorrow because most of the chapters are quite small although I do notice one big one coming up in a couple of days which is potentially going to be a setback but we'll see how it goes anyway that is it for War and Peace update that's it for Room with a review for another week I will potentially either put out an episode really early next week or similar times next week a little bit later than usual and you can now find it on Apple I noticed as well as well as Google and Spotify and Anchor of course thanks to Anchor for hosting this that's it from me. I hope you enjoyed it and start to leave reviews if you can now that I'm on a lot of these platforms. That'd be really good or at least listen to them, download them, whatever you need to do. All of that's really good. It all helps. So share it with other people too if you like it. Uh, and yeah, 
leave those reviews for me. I'll, hopefully, if I get some, I'll check them out and give a shout out to you or think of something to, to really reward those people that leave reviews. But for now, that's it from me. Just keep listening. Thanks, everyone.